0: So this morning we continue in Colossians chapter 2. Our focus is verses 16 through 23. Uh, Grab your Bibles. If you need one, just slip up your hand. We have people who would be glad to hand out a Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. It's page 817 or page 1183, depending on whether you have the big one or the little one. Here we go. To avoid legal complications... Many American manufacturers have to put warnings on their product labels. You know that? You read those little labels, be careful about this, be careful about that. The written warnings are usually pretty obvious. In an article in Forbes magazine in 2011 entitled The Dumbest Warning, warning Labels, the article described how every year a contest is held to identify the most absurd and silly warning labels. In 2012, the grand prize was for the warning label attached to a seven-inch globe. And it said this globe should not be referred to for navigation. Just in case you wanted to. The second prize was on the warning label on an electric razor. Never use while sleeping. People need to know. Previous year's winners include a warning label on a baby stroller. This is helpful. Remove child before folding. In 2011, the contest winner was for the warning label on a common everyday dust mask. Does not supply oxygen. The 2010 contest winner was for a hands-free cell phone product called Drive and Talk. It said, never operate your speakerphone while driving. Another warning label was on a small tractor. Danger, avoid death. (laughs) Then there was a warning label on uh, a brass fishing lure with a three-pronged hook. Harmful if swallowed. (laughs) Too bad the fish can't read. There was a warning label on a popular children's scooter. This product moves when used. A rotary tool had this warning label. This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. Just in case you and last of all, the warning label on a nitol sleeping aid may cause drowsiness. Uh, and to think, you know, somebody's made good money writing these up for legal purposes. In the first century, the Apostle Paul thought that some of the false ideas. Imposed on the Colossian church were just as silly as some of these things, and so uh, let's look at Colossians chapter two. We're going to look first of all at verses sixteen through nineteen, Colossians chapter two, and here's what Paul writes. Therefore, there's a little little hint here about Bible study. Whenever there's a therefore, you always ask the question: What is the therefore? Therefore. There's always a reason. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you but while you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So the first thing is verses 16 through 19 watch out for religious deception. Watch out for religious deception. That's a warning that the Apostle Paul gives here. Beware that some will impose their religious ideas on you beware of that uh, he says in verse 16 therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day the or is not in the text so the question is, how do these relate to the first century Colossian church? All of these practices that Paul enumerates here are actually in the Old Testament. And there's a Jewish context to this. Guess what? The Colossians are not Jewish, nor do they know about the Old Testament very much. Someone is bringing in ideas that have a heavy flavor of a Jewish background, And in the first century, they were called Judaizers, and they were trying to impose some of um, the requirements of the law on these brand-new Christians who didn't even know about the law. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, had some harsh things to say to these people, uh, especially in the book of Galatians. So someone was attempting to add rules to the Colossians' new Christian faith. Um, And they were saying, to be a good Christian... Um, there are things that you should be careful to eat and drink or be careful not to eat and not to drink. And there are things regarding religious festivals that you must keep. If you are going to be a good Christian and grow spiritually, you've got to do this stuff. And when it comes to a new moon celebration, which they got the day off for, or a Sabbath day, you've got to do these things. That's what they were saying to the Colossian church. And the Colossian church was beginning to process this. Is this what we have to do to be good Christians? Um, Paul's concern is for them to keep their Christian faith, faith focused on Christ. Um, he reminds, he doesn't say this, but um, if you just go back and read the words of Jesus, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, which all of those things, all of those ideas are from the law of the Old Testament, but he came to fulfill it. And when he died on the cross, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament law. And therefore, the Colossians, the Colossian church, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are no longer under the, the, those laws or those rules. There are 613 of them, if you want to go through and count them all. Now, let me go back to verse 16. Uh, Do not let anyone judge you? And I want to ask this question. Is it ever okay to judge someone? That's, that's an emotional concept. Is it ever okay to judge someone? To judge others. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5. Do not judge. There you go. There's the rule. But let's read it all do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes Jesus is concerned about a hypercritical group of religious leaders who are hypocrites in his eyes and they have placed a heavy load on God's people And they have been very judgmental of them, always criticizing them for the little things in their walk with God. And the point being is, they have some serious problems of their own that they're not taking care of. Things like pride, uh, covetousness, greediness, lust, and they're just picking on little things. The the religious leaders of Jesus' day, like the Pharisees, had some rules. For example, in the Old Testament, there was a rule in the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to set aside the uh, Sabbath day for rest from work and uh, for worship God. It was a great rhythm to society. However, the Pharisees were so concerned about people keeping this that they thought it would be helpful to make up some rules to guide them like no spitting on the sabbath you could accidentally water a plant and that would be work and so a new rule no spitting on the sabbath or no walking on the grass on on the sabbath because your sandal may actually pick up seed and carry it to a new location and plant it and that would be work and violate the Sabbath the point being there they maybe did went over a little overboard on what the intent was but they thought they were safeguarding the faith Uh, verse 4 let's go on to the next slide how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your own eye most of their criticisms were small like a speck of dust in the eye And they were like, I'm going to help you by taking out your problem. Uh, When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. The idea is that they're like totally blinded. They got a big uh, piece of uh, wood in their eye. And they're trying to worry about the speck. and, And they need to take care of their own problems first. You hypocrite. There it is. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now here's the deal. Jesus didn't say... It wasn't good to help your brother spiritually. He didn't say it wasn't good that from time to time you might help them by taking out a speck in their eye, but you first make sure your eyes are clear and your heart is pure and your motives are pure. Then you can help somebody else. Um, uh, next passage is Romans fourteen four. Who are you? This is the Apostle Paul to judge someone else's servant. To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord was able to make them stand. And Paul is reminding the church to be careful about judging other people or giving your opinions on other people's viewpoints. Some things in the scriptures are black and white. Do this, don't do that. Some things are gray, and good Christians may have different opinions about these. Be careful about judging your, somebody else's servant. They belong to Jesus. He's the master. Be careful about judging Jesus's servants. That's the warning here. Uh, and they will stand, uh, for the Lord is able to make them stand. 2 Timothy 4.2 brings in another perspective. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, preach the word to Timothy, be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. And one of the things that Paul is saying to Timothy is, as you teach the word of God to people, um, there is a place at times where you need to offer correction and you're giving input to them and people don't always enjoy that or a rebuke. That's like I'm looking at your life, I see something you need some help in, and I'm going to point you in this direction. It's not always fun to hear, is it? But there is a place for it. That's what I want you to see. Um, And now we come back to uh, verse 17. Paul says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ." So, know that reality is found in Christ. Reality is found in Christ. These are a shadow of things to come. What these is he referring to? He's referring to things like what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Paul says these are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality is found in Christ. A shadow was like a snapshot or a picture, um, some kind of example to show you, to get you to think about these principles, and then God's plan was, Jesus fulfilled them. Christ has already come. These other things were a shadow to get your attention. Now you have Christ, you don't need those shadows any longer. You have Jesus. In fact, you have all that you need. Uh, Let me just go back. Chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's what Paul said. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's got everything. And you have been given fullness in Christ. You have everything now because you've placed your faith in Christ. You don't need the shadows who is the head over every power and authority. He's talking about the spiritual realm, all of the angels, good and evil. In him, Christ, you were also circumcised and putting off the sinful nature. Um, Jumping down to verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. All of this written code, all of these laws that actually were against you to show you how, fall, how far you fall short of God's standards have been canceled, and you have been forgiven. The debt was paid, and now you're forgiven. Don't go back to the shadows. They won't get you close to God. That's what Paul is telling the Colossians, know that reality is found in Christ. How about John fourteen six, This is what Jesus was trying to let us know. He answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth. I am the reality. I am all of the reality. You don't need reality apart from me. Uh, John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the power of sin daily. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from the law. Freedom from man-made rules. Freedom in Christ and following Christ. And following his word. Also, verse 18. Remember, just because someone is passionate about religion doesn't make it true. He writes in verse 18. Do not not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Now, he's not talking about disqualifying you from salvation. He's talking about disqualifying you from rewards. Because the possibility is you're a follower of Christ and you could get sidetracked here... And go dormant and not grow. And you could miss a lot of things God wants to do. And you could miss a lot of things God wants to award you in heaven for following Christ. So do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels... We've heard this angel thing come up before in the book of Colossians. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up. Probably not good. Puff, puffed up. The, the word for pride in the New Testament is the idea of a big head full of hot air. You know, it just keeps expanding. Puffed up, that's what's what it is. It's pride. Puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Here's a group of people who are seeking to have spiritual experiences, and they're trying to engage the Colossians along with them, and uh, their spiritual experiences aren't actually coming from Christ. Now let's go back to, do not let anyone delight who delights in false humility. Um, humility is good. Christ was humble. We're to be humble. But this was a false humility. It wasn't the real deal. Um, this reference to false humility refers to some kind of harsh treatment of the body. Going back to the first century, um, this Gnosticism that was influencing the church. There was a duality between the flesh and the soul, the body and the soul. The body, by many, were just view, was viewed as evil. And so the goal was to separate yourself from the body, to have experiences that are separated from the body. And, and one of the things that people did was they treated the body harshly. For example, fasting. Now, fasting is a good thing. Jesus fasted talks about fasting in the Bible, and Jesus assumed that from time to time we would fast, but fasting in and of itself and for wrong purposes could be harmful for a spiritual life. Um, Some of these ideas of um, harsh treatment of the body include things like, well, sleeping on a uh, cold floor because it's uncomfortable, because you don't want the body to have comfort. You don't want the body to have pleasure, so you do difficult things. Now, you may know that all through history, some people who've called themselves Christians have done some pretty silly things uh, throughout the years by treating their bodies harshly. For example, in the fourth century, a man named Asepsimus bound himself to iron chains so that he couldn't walk. And then the only way he could get around was to crawl. You know, that would make him humble. And so uh, he did this uh, to bring himself closer to God. This was a misguided, false humility. Another man, a monk named Bessarion, did not lie down to sleep for 40 years. That's just about as long as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. He slept standing up. He did not want to get too comfortable. Uh, and he believed that this discomfort would bring him closer to god a monk named markarius sat in a swamp for 6 months until his body was ravaged by mosquitoes eyewitnesses said he looked like a leper and the point is he believed that harsh treatment of his body would bring good spiritual purposes because of this f- these false ideas about the about is the body good or is the body evil? Everything that God created is good. Absolutely including your body. Another man named Maron spent 11 years of his life living in a hollowed out tree. You're to try that sometime. This enabled him to live a separated life. There's actually quite a gruesome description of his life and the stench that went with it. But he thought, he was getting closer to God. Simon the Stylite spent 37 years living on stone pillars. The last pillar that he lived on was 66 feet high, and his goal was to live separated from the world. In 1403, an 18-year-old, Agnes de Rosier, a wealthy young woman, had a cell built at her church. When the cell was finished... A bishop ordered that the doorway be bricked up with Agnes inside. And they left only a little space for the food to be passed. She lived there 80 years until her death, separated from uh, the world. So the Apostle Paul says, um, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. False humility Harsh treatment of the Bible, of, of the harsh treatment of the body. People have done a lot of radical things with the goal of having a spiritual experience, which really has nothing to do with Jesus. Um, verse 19 real spiritual, real spiritual growth happens in a close relationship with Christ and his body, the church. Look at verse 19. He says, they have lost their connection with the head. Who? Those people who delight in false humility and the worship of angels. Let me just go back and make that comment about worship, uh, worship of angels. I, I didn't mention that. But you recall that um, one of the problems with uh, Gnosticism, the Greek philosophy, was there was a high value for angels. And, and some viewed these angels as the fullness. That's a, that's a technical word in the book of Colossians the play Rome of the fullness, and they were a mediator between God and man. It's sort of like going through all of the angels to get to God. And the false humility included, I am not good enough to go to God. I've got, I'm so lowly, I can only go through the angels. The, the only way I can get to God is through the angels. And there was a false worship. Angels are not to be worshipped. There are a few times in the book of Acts, in the book of Revelation, where Men bowed down to angels and the angels said, get up, I'm an angel, I am not God. Only God is to be worshipped. Uh, and so Paul says in verse 19, they have lost connection with the head. If they were followers of Christ, they have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with Jesus from whom the whole body, the church, is supported and held together by its ligaments. Hey, you might be a ligament or you might be a sinew. And the body grows as God causes it to grow. And the Apostle Paul is saying, these people, if they're followers of Christ, they're disconnected and they are not going to grow. They are, their growth is stunted. And uh, your connection with them is not going to help you at all as a follower of Jesus. And the whole point is, you have to have a close, close relationship with Christ. John fifteen 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we need to be closely related to Jesus so that we can bear fruit and be the people he wants us to be. The Apostle Paul picks this idea up in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, as he did in Colossians, about the body. He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, we need you because each part is to do something. And um, the growth happens when we are closely connected to Jesus and closely connected to his body, the church, in, a, in relationship with a body of believers. And each part has a role. And it grows and becomes healthy as each one contributes. So uh, that's verses 16 through 19. Now we come to our second uh, major point. Watch out. It's a warning. Watch out for legalism. Verses 20 through 23. Watch out for legalism. First, let's start with the question. Whose rules you follow. We've been talking about rules, man-made rules, human rules, rules given from outsiders, rules given from the Old Testament that were fulfilled. Whose rules do you follow? Would you say that you primarily follow God's instructions as He's given in His Word? Is that like your your default? You just yeah. That's how I think. This is um or. Usually I think life is pretty complicated. You know, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, that's where I am, that's where I want to be. But life is pretty complicated. Uh, some of us may be heavily influenced by the words of our parents. And sometimes the words of our parents, even though they're not speaking this very instant, we've got some of those words in our head. And sometimes those words in, in our head from years ago are more powerful than God's word. And sometimes we follow those influences quicker than we follow Christ. And are you heavily influenced by what people think? You know, uh, sometimes, yeah, I I'm, I'm care about what God says, but boy, what do these people think? Do they like me? Will they, will they not like me if I do this or think this way? What's cool? What's hip? Uh, what's, you know, what's really important? And And sometimes we're influenced, whose rules do you follow? Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And there he's talking about angels, especially dark angels, fallen angels, demons. To the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul is saying, you're going back to this rule system Why? Um, Since you died with Christ already. Um, Paul's point is, if you're a follower of Christ, these rules have no power over you, nor should they be influencing you. Since you died with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul takes us, kind of develops this more fully. He says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Right? Death no longer has mastery over him. Yes. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's really, really important. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay? Sounds good. Sounds true about Jesus. In the same way... Say that again. In the same way... Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That's really significant. I've got to pull my faith toward the truth that I'm dead to sin. I've died to sin. Now, I, I have to bring my mind to that. I take it by faith, and I am alive to God in Christ Jesus Are you alive to God right this minute? Or are you dead to God and alive to sin? It's your mindset as it relates to the truth and about what you believe about the truth. Jesus has already died, He's already done His work, and He's already given you everything you need. Count yourselves dead to sin. There is a victory that is yours count yourselves alive to God. I'm alive. I have, I have all this potential. I have all of this possibility for strength and power to live my life every day. Next slide. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I think Paul is saying you have a choice here. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not offer any part of your self to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself you know just go through and count all the body parts okay God I'm giving you my finger I'm giving you my thumb I'm giving you my hand I'm going to all of it I offer it to you God for sin shall no longer be your master who's your master Whose rules do you follow? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. That's forgiveness. Under God's favor. That's an option for you. A real, live option where God would love us to live every day, every moment. Secondly, verse 22, religious rules based on human ideas have no eternal value. You already knew that. You could have voted for that before you came in today. Religious rules based on human ideas have no eternal value. Verse 22. These rules, which have to do with things that are already destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. And the Colossians are tempted to adopt this perspective. Rules that aren't about Christ. Rules that are supposed to help people be more spiritual, like what you eat and what you drink and what you wear, What days you do this and what days you don't do this. These rules are destined to perish. They are not eternal. They are not based on truth. They are merely human ideas. I could make a lot of rules for you. I could say, this is what I want you to do. And it wouldn't necessarily be based on scripture. People make rules all the time. Rules aren't bad. Families have to make rules for their families. That's good. Employers make rules for their employees. That's usually good. If you don't like their rules, get another job. Rules are good. But not all rules have a spiritual purpose. Um, when you think about... Uh, verse, verse 22, verse 23. Religious rules based on human ideas do not help us in our struggle against sin. Let me just make this... Um, illustrate this religion think about religion or religious rules religion is about man making himself good enough self-effort to be accepted by god it's sort of like okay god i'm doing all these things do you see me down here am i good enough yet it's about self-effort religion it's about being trying to make myself acceptable to god christianity is totally the opposite Christianity is God reaching down to us because of the death of Christ and saying, I accept you the way you are. I embrace you. Now I'm going to support you and help you to grow. And I want you to be more like Jesus. But I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there every step of the way. That's Christianity. Religion is about the rules and about the self-effort. Religious rules based on human ideas do not help us in our struggle against sin. Here's what Paul says. 23, such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. Looks good. Rules look good. A lot of these nice things happen And nice people. And they look good. They're dressed well. With uh, self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining indul- indulgence. For example, rules, human just rules don't really help. If you're trying to overcome... Uh, an addiction to alcohol, just saying don't drink, that's a good rule, but that doesn't really help. If, if you're uh, struggling with food, if you're struggling with gluttony and you say don't eat, that doesn't help. It's a nice rule. If you're, if you're struggling with a, a sexual addiction and you say, well, don't have sex... That's probably not going to help either. Um, The Apostle Paul's whole point is is that following Christ helps us in our struggle with sin. And let me walk through some passages to remind us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive. There it is. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. God's made us alive. You're alive to God right now. If you are a follower of Christ, you are alive to God. Next slide. Galatians 2.20. One of the first verses I memorized as a Christian. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's true. Jesus lives in you if you are a follower of Christ. You have Christ, you have the reality, you have everything you need. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a new motivation. I live out of gratitude for what Jesus did for me. He loves me, gave himself for me. That changes everything. And he lives in me. Next slide, Galatians five sixteen. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is how you deal with the struggle of sin. We all have to struggle with sin. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. Walk by the Spirit. I've referred to this a lot of different times. I love the picture, the walk. It's one step at a time. I like it because I think small, and um, I need one step. I can think about 10 years from now or five years from now, and that's all good, but there's a lot of things happening in the next year in my life that I can struggle with. this week or this day and when I walk sometimes I fall down I find out I fall down more than I used to but uh, literally um, I I still I don't have all the balance that I once had it'll happen to you and um, so I walk and sometimes I fall down but you know what when I fall down I have to get right back up that's probably the key to the Christian life if that's the only thing you hear today if you fall down, get back up. Keep stepping. Keep the walk with Christ going. The power of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If I go into neutral, I'm pretty much going to gratify the desires of the flesh. But if I'm intentional to walk with Christ, I have hope, I have strength, I have power. Next slide. Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, that's that's God's intention for us as a follower of Christ. This is his plan to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like that because that tells me I need, to, this is a, I need to be intentional. I need to keep in step. Sometimes I get out of step and I need to regroup and I need to evaluate. How am, am I okay with God? Is, I, where did I go wrong here? What do I need to do? It, do I need to confess my sin? 1 John nine. Do I need to say... God, I just want to say again, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to control me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to give me your strength. Next slide. This is the last one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through him. I can do, you can do, everything God wants you to do with his strength. Otherwise, you're just just going through the motions. Okay, 1927. 1927. The famous movie director Cecil B. DeMille. You heard of Cecil B. DeMille? Because he made movies. Guys, a couple of you, that really dates me. (laughs) He made movies up into the 60s. 1927, he cast H.B. Warner as Jesus in his famous silent film, King of Kings. Cecil B. DeMille was concerned about the behavior of his actor who played Jesus, so he made rules for Jesus on and off the movie set. DeMille wanted his actor, Warner, to maintain uh, what he saw to be the image of Christ. Warner had to sign a five-year agreement that he would not appear in a film that would tarnish the image of Jesus. During the filming, Warner was driven to the set in a car with windows covered by blinds so he could not be seen. He had to wear a black veil as he was delivered to the set. DeMille kept Warner from meeting with the cast members, requiring him to meet alone every day. Warner was not allowed to play cards, to go to ball games, ride in a convertible, or go swimming. In all this, Warner did not become more like Jesus. He was supposed to become more like Jesus, yet he was supposed to do this without forgiveness and without the life of Jesus living in him. With all this pressure to be like Jesus, Warner lapsed into an addiction of alcohol. Some Christians are like that. They try to live the Christian life without Jesus. They keep the rules. They look good. But they're doing it in their own strength. Has no eternal value and it is worthless. Living the Christian life without Jesus. How are you doing with that? Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for the reminders from the Apostle Paul about uh, legalism and about um, false religious ideas. And God, we're just reminded that reality is found in Jesus Christ and that in him we have all that we need. We have everything. And that with him we can walk with you And become the people you want us to be. And that we can grow. That we can become more loving. More joyful. More patient. Kinder. Gentler. More faithful. God, help us to grow as Christ followers. May our love for you continue to grow. May we acknowledge the times that we seek to look like Christians or act like Christians without you, without relying on Jesus, without his strength, without his energy, without his power. Help us to thrive as we follow Jesus. Amen.